We've been in a series the last several weeks on loving the church, loving the church. And on the front of your bulletins there, uh, there is a, a quote kind of launches us off. Even though the church played a big part of my life growing up for many years, it didn't have a big place in my heart. And we've been examining our relationship to uh, what the Bible calls the church. And many of us have maybe grown up going to church. Many of us have grown up, you know, uh, giving to church. Many of us maybe have grown up serving at church, right? You know, I see Jamal back there for, for several years. We we enjoyed years of playing basketball for the church, right? Right? So so we may have this, when it comes to church, you know, we may have a lot of different ways to relate to it. But, but have you ever taken the time to ask, do I love the church? Do I love it? You know, does it, is it more than just uh, you know, the block of time uh, on a Sunday morning from the time I have to leave my house to the time I get back. And it's just one of those blocks of time on a Sunday. Then I'm going to go to Cafe Emporium. Then I'm going to go run errands, you know, yada, yada, yada. Right? Cindy perked up when I said that. Right? <laughs> so is, it, is, it, is, is church just a to-do because you have to? Or is it a I want to because I love the church? I love the church, right? And, and so we're understanding that, that if we're going to love the church, we have to understand what God says about the church. And that's what we've been doing all these past weeks. In your bulletin there, the very, the very top, you know, there's one, two, three, four, five things that we've been, we looked at. And we're not going to uh, look at those again. I encourage you to, to go online and listen to those messages. And, and today, we're going to jump right into, it says on there, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Let's look at First Timothy Chapter 3, we'll read those same two verses we read at the very beginning of service. It says, although I hope to come to you soon, 1 Timothy 3.14, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Okay, so this is what we focus on, which is the church of the living God. We, we spent time this morning already in that. And then the next phrase, the pillar and foundation of the truth, of the truth. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your church. And over the last several weeks, we, we've learned that the church is your bride. And you are passionately in love with your bride. We've learned that the church belongs to you and is being built by you. We learned that the church is the body of Christ and we all have a part to play. We spent two weeks looking at the church as the household or the family of God and what it means to not just enjoy privileges of being a part of that family, but, but more specifically, what are our responsibilities as part of the family of God? And then now, in 1 Timothy 3.15, you very specifically state that your church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And so we ask you this morning, through the spirit of truth, to open our, our hearts, our minds, to understand, to rightly divide your word. And Lord, then, then not just to be hearers, but ultimately to be doers. Uh, Lord, with the truth that you would reveal to each one of us this morning through scripture, Lord, would, would you then show us how to make that real? Because we know in Romans 12, too, that we are transformed through the renewing of our mind. Through not just the understanding of Scripture, but the application of it. So, 
Father, thank you for being the living God. Thank you for the living word. And uh, we ask you now to do what only you can do as we open your word and desire to, to grow through it. All God's people said, Amen. All right, so it says there, right, the church is the pillar and foundation of the truth. Now, this is Paul writing to Timothy, and he's in the city of Ephesus. And so these are letters. If you didn't know, this was a letter. And so the church in Ephesus, the minute that they would have read that and said right there what you just read, the pillar and foundation of truth, they right away, in the context of this letter, they right away would have got this picture. And here's the picture they would have got. The Temple of Diana. That was in Ephesus. One of the seven wonders of the world. 127 pillars. And so the Apostle Paul says, Hey, Timothy, the church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And all the Christians in Ephesus would have said, What? Their understanding of pillar and foundation would have been directly related to the Temple of Diana. Those pillars are huge. I don't know if you can notice. These are the current ruins. There's people right there. Look how huge that is. I mean, they're just super wide, super tall, right? Now, what were the pillars and the foundation? What is it designed to do in the Temple of Diana? What's it designed to do? Right? In an architectural sense, what is their purpose? Hold up the roof. Hold up the roof, right? So these, these, these uh, Christians in Ephesus are like, okay, pillar, foundation. Now he's talking about the church. So we get that beautiful roof, and we know, you know it's got to weigh how many tons, right? And that's the pillars. 127 of them are holding it up. And then he brings it back to the church. Thank you, Shadow. You can put that down. So look, it says the pillar and foundation of what? What's the church the pillar and foundation of? Truth, okay? Who is the church? Who is the church? Okay, if you're a part of the church, right? Remember, if you believe on Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you believe you're saved by grace through faith, you're part of what? The church. So who's part of the church? Okay, so we're going to have a little, we're gonna have a little illustration here, okay? Just, just hang with me if you're new. You know, I'm kind of one of those active learner guys. So he says you're pillars and foundations, right? So just we're just going to focus on pillar. So if you're part of the church, you're a pillar. So... If you're a pillar, put your hands up like this. Oh, now we're getting all Pentecostal in here. Woo! Some of you are like, I knew they could raise hands here. All right? Put your hand up. Okay. If you're, if you're part of the church, you're a pillar. What are you holding up? What are we... Okay, take a, don't take your eyes off me. Just everyone do this and look around real quick. Look around. Look in the room. If you're a part of the church, you're a pillar and foundation of something. What? truth okay okay everyone's like oh can we put the truth down now my arms hurt right <laughs> that's it we're going we're going to weightlifting now right you are the you are we okay not me not me if you're part of the church you're a pillar and foundation and those verses say you are doing something you are commanded your purpose is to be a part of holding up supporting something And you better know what it is you're supposed to be supporting. It's foundational to the purpose of the church. It's foundational. The temple of Diana would be 
Not the temple of Diana without the pillars. It's absolutely essential. The pillars are absolutely essential to hold up that roof, to hold up the structure, right? You, the church, we are absolutely essential to hold up what? The truth. What is that? Remember Pilate has that interaction with Jesus and he asks that very famous question. What is truth? See, because we better know what it is because when you leave here, you leave here like this. If you didn't know, you go out into the community like this. You're still a pillar. You're not just a pillar from 9 to 10, 15. You leave here because you never stop being the church. So if we're called to be pillars, if we're called to be supporting something, if we're called to be testifying to something for all the world to see, we better have a grasp of the biblical definition of what? Truth. Now, truth, for some of you, you may want to check out, ah, I know what truth is. Do you? Especially in the context of our world. Pilate's question is extremely important, especially in the context of our culture. What is truth? And to sort of introduce this, uh, I want to show you a little video that may challenge you a little bit and actually may help you to understand if you profess to be part of the church and you profess to be holding up truth, you're probably going to understand when you leave here why you're not so popular, why the world doesn't like you very much. Okay? Go ahead, Chai. Let's watch this video. This is a red balloon. It's true, it's red, we all know our colors. The absolute truth is that this balloon is red. No, it's not. That's green. What? This right here is a green balloon. That is the prettiest yellow balloon. <laughs> yellow? This, this is red. Yeah, come over here. No, it's green. It's red! Yeah, I know, it's a red balloon. Hey, will you look at it from my point of view, please? What? Hey, nice blue balloon. Blue. It's green! Green? It's red! What? Why are you saying it's red when it's blue, huh? It's totally purple from here! Purple? Okay, you know what? Let's just settle this once and for all, okay? Where are you going? Hey, what color is this balloon? I only see in black and white. Hey, Mark. What color? There is no balloon. This is ridiculous! Hey, I know what the problem is. Look, uh, my mom taught me that this was blue. But, um, you know, then she said this is red and green yellow, you know, and on and on. <laughs> okay, I get that your mom taught you that that was blue, but I mean, that's not the truth. Whoa, why are you talking bad about his mom? Yeah. I'm not. Listen, I respect your mother. Thank you. And the way she raised you. She taught you that was blue. Our moms taught us that it was red. That's the way it goes. I thought you said it was green. It is green. See, I'm smart. I went to college. And in college, I learned all these different theories about color. Really? And my color professors who have doctorates in color. Do you have a doctorate in color? Uh, no. It shows. Okay. <laughs> they can't even agree on one theory of colors. So you have to look at all the different theories and pick which one works best for you. And green is great for me. That makes sense. Thank you. No, you can't just pick whatever color fits your life the best. Red is red. Okay, do you know the word intolerant? Yeah. Because that's what you're being right now. All right, you're shoving your opinion down my throat. Okay, it's not my opinion. It's the truth. <laughs> hold on, hold on. All we're saying is that we need to stop arguing about trivial things. Like truth. 
You know, the funny thing about truth is, it's true, whether you believe it or not. Mm-hmm. I thought I knew what truth was. Now I'm really confused. Wow. Sound familiar? Right? That's the world we live in. That is the world we live in. And into that world, God says, you, the church, are to be the pillar and foundation of truth. And I love that video because it just, in, in a minute and a half, captures the current state of affairs when it comes to truth in our society. And it captures in a very uh, sort of comedic way, but a very powerful way, while why we, if you call yourself a part of the church, are on the unpopular list. And, and it's very important that you understand and settle the issue of biblical truth. And why is it important? One, because we see in 1 Timothy 3, you're called to be a pillar and foundation of it. Okay? But the other thing is this. For many of us in our relationship with the Lord, and then let's get real practical, in our obedience and in our sanctification process, many of us do this and go up and down and we get frustrated and we have seasons of obedience and then seasons of disobedience and we're hot and we're cold. and all. A lot of that is directly tied to how you view truth. Because even in the church, opinion, preference, taste is seeped in. Is seeped in. See, a lot of us, uh, if you call yourself a Christian, what you have said is there is a truth about Jesus Christ and what He did at the cross. There's a truth that happened and I believe I'm affirming that truth that happened. It's true whether or not I believe it. I'm affirming that. I believe that. So we, we get saved because we affirm a true fact in history about Jesus Christ, true facts about who He is and what He accomplished. We, our belief affirms that truth that's out there. But when it comes down to daily life and, and God begins to, to reveal His truth about issues in our life, we may struggle with being so embracing. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, well, I don't think God would say that. I don't think that's what He meant. A loving God wouldn't. Right? In, in, in churchdom and in our culture, you, you, may, you may hear quite frequently justifications for reinterpreting Scripture based on this, this cliche that God is love. A loving God would or a loving God wouldn't. What they don't understand is God isn't just love. God is truth. God is truth. And you can't elevate His, his loving nature over His truthful nature. You've got to take it all. And as Christians, that's where we can start to really struggle because that's where the rubber meets the road is when God reveals truth to us in an area of our life that we may be holding on tenaciously to. And he says, here's my truth regarding that. Here's my truth regarding that. And then the question begins and, and, and becomes, what are you going to do with that truth now? What are you going to do with that truth? And so we're going to spend some weeks looking at this issue of truth because it is ultimately essential for us as believers to be able to interact with this world. And if you have kids, 
or you interact with, with the younger generation, you have got to understand the issue of truth. Because many of our Christian kids and many of the, the kids at Nordoff are growing up with these ideas of truth that radically impact their view of Christianity, that radically impact whether or not they're going to walk with Jesus. It's not just that they, they, they understand the gospel. They get all that kind of stuff, the facts of it. They might have gone through Awanas and all that kind of stuff, BBS. They get that. But the core of their struggle, many of the, the core of the struggle of the young generation coming up when they go to college and on, has to do with truth. They've never settled and never been equipped, never been taught to, to handle truth. To handle truth. And that's why this is absolutely essential for us. If we're going to be the pillar and foundation of truth, we have got to understand God's view of it. We have got to understand the biblical definition of truth. So you see, you see there in your, in your notes, right, the pillar and foundation. Absolutely essential, right? There's a temple of Diana. It says, very important, the third one there under pillar and foundation. The church is not the source of truth. It is the steward of God's truth. We're going to talk about this in a little bit. You have to understand. When we come here and we open the Word of God, what we're saying is, Lord, we believe here that you are the source of truth. And I am called to rightly divide it, to study myself, to be approved, to rightly teach you the correct interpretation of it to the best of my ability. But OVCF is not the source of truth. Do you understand that? It's not my job to tell God what He meant. My job is to discern what God meant and said and to tell you. You see it? The church has gotten into trouble by flipping that. And no longer is the church the steward of truth. Somehow the church slides into being the source of truth. And when you slide into that, then the church becomes a source of authority versus Scripture. So you've got to understand, you've got to settle right off the bat, the church, we are just the steward of God's truth. We're just the steward of God's truth. We're not the source of it. When people come to counseling, right, when they ask me for help with an issue, you know what I tell them? Well, you come to a church, and I'm a pastor. So you've got to know right off the bat, we're going to go to here. And if that's cool with you, then I'm going to show you what God's word says about this issue. If you don't like that and you don't believe this is God's word and it's truth and authority, I really can't help you. You see the difference? If you're coming to the church and you're coming to me as a pastor for counseling, for, for counsel, for help in, in an issue, we're going to look at Scripture. Because this is all we have. This is all we have. And be very careful when somebody, a personality or an organization begins to lower this and elevate themselves above it. That's when you, that's when you get on thin ice. That's when you go down a slippery slope. Because then everything is fair game, isn't it? Okay? Now, the challenging part, okay, in the 20 years of ministry, if someone says, cool, you're a pastor, I expect you to teach me this. The challenging part is when we reveal the truth and it hurts. And there's conviction. And it's like, ah, oh, I didn't know that. Then, the, then, then a choice has to be made. What are you going to do with that? What are you going to do with that truth? Okay, so we're, we're just a steward of it, right? In there, there's a definition of truth, right? Ontological, what that means is ontology has to do with just 
existence, reality, being, okay? So in, in sort of a human, worldly sense, the truth is telling it like it is, right? Right? The truth is telling it like it is. That which corresponds to reality, if you want the correspondence theory, right? There's the there's simplest definition of truth. Telling it like it is, that which corresponds to reality. Anyone ever told a lie? Are you lying right now because you didn't raise your hand? <laughs> Turn to the person next to you. We're in church, right? So when you told a lie, you weren't telling it like it is. What you said didn't correspond to reality, right? And we go to great lengths to get our lies in order, right? I remember when I was little, I had this habit of coming home late. You know, and my parents said, you got to be home before it gets dark. Got to be, you know, anyone ever get a boundary and you just got to push it? You got to push it. They set the line and there's the line and you know you just keep doing this, right? So, you know, that, then it finally it's like, this is it. If you're late one more time. So what was I? Sun was going down and there was no way I was going to, because I didn't have a car. I was too young. I always had run home and I knew I wasn't going to make it. It was just going to get dark. So all the way home, I'm formulating it formulating it, right? And I had it all set, you know. I was at, I used to play a, a recreation football, so I was, at, I was at my coach's house, just hanging out and lost track of time, right? Done. Da-da-da-da-da, run home. Where were you? You're late again. Oh, I was over at Joe's house just hanging out. We went there. <laughs> right, just, okay. You got me. I lied, right? I didn't tell it like it was. What I said did not correspond to reality, right? Now, here in the context of, of you all being here, that's like, okay, we get that. Is that really that difficult? Oh, yeah, when you step outside the doors in that video right there, that simple definition has become so convoluted and so confusing that just the truth thing, telling it like it is, oh, man. If, if that's your definition and you want to say there's absolute truth and da-da-da-da, oh, yeah, you're on the unpopular list, right? So one of the definitions, right, the, what they call the ontological definition, is just telling it like it is. That's truth. Tell it like it is. That which corresponds to reality, right? That which corresponds to reality. Truth is also what we call theological. From the biblical perspective, it's theological, right? I love this quote, this definition from John MacArthur. Truth is that which is consistent with the mind will, character, glory, and being of God. Truth is the self-expression of God. From a biblical Christian perspective, you cannot separate God from truth. They're, they're linked. They're linked. And for some of us in our Christian walk, that's why we go up and down in this obedience thing, because we've separated it. You can't. God and truth are one because truth is part of who He is. It emanates from Him. Okay, but we're going to look at a bunch of verses because it's really important that you see what God's word says about this. So turn to Psalm 31.5. We're going to do a bit of a scriptural survey here. Okay, Psalm 
Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of what? The God of truth. The God of truth. Isaiah 65, 16. Don't turn there. I'll read it to you. Whoever invokes a blessing in the land will do so by the God of truth. Right? He who takes an oath in the land will swear by the God of truth. Okay? So Isaiah 65. In the Old Testament, God is the God of truth. It's part of who he is. It's his nature. It's his character. Right? Very familiar. Let's go to John. Let's go to the New Testament. John 14, 6. Right? So the Old Testament says that God is a God of truth. John 14.6 John 14.6 Jesus answered I am the way and what? The truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So the Old Testament God is the God of truth. What is Jesus affirming about himself in John 14.6? That he is He's God. He doesn't say, doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, hey, I tell the truth. He says, I am the truth. It's part, it's, it's his character, it's his nature. He is the truth. Truth isn't just a what, it's a who. It's God. And in John 14, 6, Jesus is affirming that, hey, I'm the truth. He's affirming his deity, right? Let's look at John 15, 26. One chapter to your right, right? John 15, 26. When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of what? Truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. So Jesus is the truth, and the Holy Spirit here is what? Truth. The truth is all part of the Trinity. It's who God is. It's who God is. Okay? Let's go to Hebrews 6.18. Keep going right... Galatians, Ephesians, after Titus and Philemon, right? Hebrews 6.18. Okay, Hebrews 6.18. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to what? Lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope offered to us may be greatly encouraged. So God is a God of truth. In Hebrews 6.18, it says it's impossible for God to do something. What can't God do? So if, if anyone ever asks you, hey, can God do everything? You ever hear that? You ever hear one of those type of things? There is actually something it is impossible for God to do. According to that verse, what is it? Lie. God cannot do anything that's opposed to his nature. That's the, that's the answer to that. So God is the God of truth. Hebrews 6.18 kind of puts a period exclamation. It's impossible for him to lie. So from a biblical perspective, you have to understand truth cannot be separated from the nature of God. It's one in the same. One in the same. Okay? It also says, let's go back to the left, to the book of John, Right? So Jesus is the truth. There's the spirit of truth. God is the God of truth. It's impossible for him to lie. John 17, 17. John 17, 17. Jesus 
is speaking. He's speaking about his followers, his disciples. John 17, 17. Sanctify or set them apart, right? Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So according to John 17, 17, what is truth? What's he talking about? God's word is truth. God's word is truth, right? Second Timothy, right? We know all scripture is God breathed, right? So if God is a God of truth and he breathed his scripture, what does scripture have to be biblically? True. It's truth. Okay? So he, here's a challenge as I, as I was working through this. In the context of church right here with all of you, you're like, got it. Knew that since sixth grade. Right? Some of you are like, tell me something I don't know, right? But you have to reaffirm this. You have to reaffirm your biblical definition of truth as being inseparable from God's nature because that is foundational to how you live every area of your life. You've got, you got to settle that issue. Okay? You, got, you, you cannot separate the two. Right? In Romans 1, it speaks about the consequences of choosing to ignore or it says suppress God's truth. Right? So let's look at Romans 1. Okay? So let's begin to see what happens if we try to separate truth from God. Okay? We just said they're inseparable, but what happens when you try to separate truth from the nature of God? What's the, what's the consequence? Right? So let's look at Romans 1, Acts, and then Romans. Romans 1. We start in verse 21. Okay? Actually, I'm sorry, verse 18. Romans 1, 18. Romans 1.18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him but their thinking became futile. Their, heart, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they came to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. What happens here? God says, hey, I've revealed truth to you in nature. It's easy to see, right? God is a source. He reveals truth. In these verses, he's saying, hey, I revealed it to you. And you chose, it's a very important word, they suppressed it. It was an active choice to suppress what God was revealing to them. It was a choice they made. And as a consequence, they just cycled down into sin and unrighteousness. It says, what does it say, right? It says, uh, their foolish hearts were darkened. Their thinking became futile. See, if you separate God and truth, Romans chapter 1 gives you the consequence. You're just going to spin into unrighteousness and selfishness and self-seeking. And your heart's going to become darkened and you're going to get all twisted if you try to do your own thing apart from God's truth. That's what he's saying. This, this is the consequence of separating. Let's keep reading. Therefore God gave them over in sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. Here's verse 25. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie 
and worshipped and served created things rather than Creator, who is, a, who is forever praised. Amen. You know what they did? It says right there, hey, God says, here's the truth. I'm revealing truth to you, revealing truth to you. And you know what they did in that verse? Not only did they suppress it, they said, nah, we don't want your truth. We want the lie. And what was the lie? Idolatry. The lie was elevating man, the, creator, the created, over the creator. So look at the world today. Look at the world today that has taken God out of everything, but then separated God from truth. And who gets elevated when you separate God and truth? Man. It's all about me. It's all about self. It's all about selfish desires. It's all about pleasing self. It's all about desire. What they're saying is, hey, God revealed truth. They exchanged it. They flipped it. And now it's all about idolatry. Now they elevate man and self-centeredness and self-seeking the created rather than the creator. That's what happens when you separate. Now think about your own life as a Christian. When God reveals truth to you about an area in your life and you struggle with it, why are you struggling? Because you're struggling with who's on the throne. God brings truth to an area that you, you're struggling with and He wants to... He wants to uh, get your, your, your life in line with His truth. And the reason we struggle is because it's a struggle of self. It's a struggle of, of putting God and His authority and His truth on the throne in this area and us submitting to it. That's, that, that in, in the church, that's, what's, that's why we struggle. Because we all have a choice. What are you going to do when God reveals truth to you in an area of your life? Now the choice is yours. You can obey. And, and work through the process in sanctification. Or you can say, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good right there, God. It's the same choice that we have, right? It's the same choice that we have. It's why it's absolutely essential to spend the time thinking about truth. Who or what is the pillar or foundation of your life? Is it God's truth? Or is it self? Or some kind of mixture. Some kind of mixture, right? And so we're going to start looking at some principles here. If you uh, look, I believe it's on the back side there, right? So let, let, let's just understand a little bit. And we're, not gonna, we're going to continue this as, as long as it takes to be here. What we have to understand, okay, is that the biblical worldview that, that God and truth are one, it's what we call objective, it's rational, and it's logic, logical, Okay? 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So God's a God of order. So His truth is, 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 is orderly. It's not confusing. It's not irrational. It's not illogical. God is a God of order, right? It's objective, meaning it's outside of us. God is God. God gives us His Word. It's over there. He's the source of it. It is out external to us. It's objective to us. Do you guys understand that? That's very important. We are not the source of truth. God is the source of truth. He reveals it through His Holy Spirit, through His Word. We, we do our best to study, interpret it, and apply it. But it's always coming from Him. Always coming from Him. Right? Why is that important? Because the world out there does no longer believe in objective truth. The world out there says truth comes from you. And you 
and you, and we all make our own truth. And you Christians, with this idea that there's a God out there, a God of truth, and you Christians that believe that He spoke through His Word, and you Christians who believe in objective and absolute truth is coming from over there to us, that we're supposed to conform to that, you Christians have just, you know, you're back in the dark ages. Because now, in our age, it's whatever you believe. It's subjective. It's what works for you. Hey, Diana, what works for you is good for you because it works. And Daryl, what works for Daryl is good for Daryl because it works. And Tina, what makes you feel good makes you feel good. And, and, and Susan, if it, something else makes you feel good, well, that's okay. And we're going to spend more and more time looking at this because this is where the rubber meets the road and this is where we have to be very discerning as believers about this idea of truth. Right? And I want, I want to give you one example, then we're going to call it. I need some volunteers here. Everyone looks down. It's amazing when I say that. Mike, how many blocks are in here? Just a guess. 53. All right. Graham, how many blocks? 40. Scotty, how many blocks? 66. Mike, you're a sharp guy. How many blocks? 63. Okay. Steve? (laughs) what's that okay the right answer is 55 round of applause for michael any right you get to hold that for now you don't get to keep it right don't build anything either right so the right answer was 55 and he wins the prize because he was closest to the right answer there was a right answer there was 55 all right Ernie, pick a starburst. What did you? Yellow. Susan, you want to pick a starburst? Mike, you want to? Oh, two for one. Okay, yellow. Andrea, you want to pick one? She went pink. She went pink. Okay. Brenda, do you want to pick one? Okay. She went red. Okay, so put up red, pink, yellow. All right. Which one of those is right? Which one of those is right? All of them are right? Let me ask you this. Is that the right question to ask? See, the difference, the difference, can I get this? Can I get your, uh, trying to hide it, take it home. Okay, so here's the difference. There's a right answer to the number. Right? There's a right answer. There's, there's 55. That has to do with objective fact. Truth. Telling it like it is. Right? That corresponds to reality. If we were to count this, there would be 55. That's reality. This is a matter of taste and preference. It's a matter of taste and preference. Opinion. So I can't ask which one is right because it's a matter of taste. No, you get to keep that. It's a matter of taste. Do you understand what I'm saying? Now, here's the challenge for us as we move forward. The world says, hey, you Christians, Christianity, Judaism, Islam, it's all just a matter of taste. It's just a matter of taste. You Christians want to make it a matter of right and wrong. You Christians got it all wrong now. We've moved past that in this postmodern world. All religions just taste and preference and opinion. You Christians can't tell people they're wrong. 
You Christians can't say there's objective, absolute truth. Who do you think you are? So is your Christian faith right? Or preference, opinion, taste? And your answer to that impacts every area of your life. Every decision you make. Everything. Because if it's right, then that means it's true. And we're going to see the answer. The answer. I'll let you out there. Christianity is this. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul says, if the resurrection didn't happen, your faith and my faith is in vain. See, you have to understand, the resurrection is not taste, opinion, preference. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It either happened or it didn't happen. There's a right answer, right? So our faith is based on objective truth, not taste, not preference. You've got to settle that issue. Christianity is based on historical truth, not taste, not preference. And we're going to look more at this because, again, not only for your sake, but for the sake of those that you interact with in the world that may have been influenced by this postmodern thinking without even realizing it. They're not intentionally being mean. or Many people just, they just pick it up. It's everywhere. We've got to settle this issue. Do you know why? Jesus Christ died because he told the truth. You have to understand that. We're about to celebrate communion. Jesus went to the cross willingly because he spoke the truth and stuck to it. Pilate asked him, are you a king? Well, you say rightly, I came to speak the truth. Communion today reminds us that it was really an issue of truth. Jesus came to speak the truth and it cost him his life. For us, we have to settle this issue of truth because we take it out of these doors. And there's a world out there that's really confused. There's a world out there that's looking for hope. There's a world looking for answers. And when you as believers come out there and you walk in truth, when your life matches God's word in truth and you have hope and joy, the world goes, what is that? I want that. And you say, well, let me tell you about truth. Let me tell you about truth. So as we prepare for communion, let's just be reminded, Jesus went to the cross because he told the truth. Because he told the truth. Lord, thank you for reminding us today that your church is the pillar and foundation of truth. And truth is who you are. You are the God of truth. Jesus, you are the truth. Holy Spirit, you are the spirit of truth. Your word is truth. Lord, thank you that our faith is based on objective, absolute truth. The truth of the historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not just taste. It's not just opinion. It's not just preference. But it's based on objective truth. So help us now as we reflect on communion and then as we leave here to walk in truth. Not just in our words, but that our life 
would be consistent with who you are and your truth. Amen. As we prepare for communion, I was thinking of, uh, you know, when people make boats or ships, they design a boat and a ship around specific physical properties of buoyancy. In order for a ship or a boat to float and operate correctly, they have to build it in line with water, buoyancy, right? In order for a plane to fly, it's got to be built in conjunction with, in line with principles of aerodynamics, lift, drag, right? In order for that to operate correctly. You and I were created to be in relationship with God. And you and I were created in in a way to operate correctly by being in line with His truth. That's, That's what this is about. You and I were created to enjoy covenant with God and with each other if we'll just operate according to His principles, which are found where? In His Word. His truth. He says, hey, I made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. But in order to operate correctly, it's according to my truth. Just come alongside. I love you. I want the best for you. But you've got you to gotta yield to my truth. And that's what Jesus did. Jesus came. right? Nevertheless, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. He submitted and yielded to God's truth, God's plan. And we're reminded this morning through communion, that truth cost Jesus everything. Does he hear me? And yet, look where he is. Right? And look where we are because of that. And so we leave here, we take communion in remembrance of Jesus, but also with the conviction today, Lord, I just want to I just want to operate in your truth. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, would I just would I just operate in your truth? I'm open, Lord. I'm receptive. Speak truth to my life. Speak truth to my life and then bring people into my life that will help me make that truth real. That's all it is. Amen? Let's take communion together.